Welcome to Must See IMDb, a podcast where we break down IMDb's number one top-rated episode of a classic TV show. And then we discuss, did the voters do the show justice or are there hidden gem episodes that need a boost up the list? I'm Abby. And I'm Katie. You may have noticed our voices are exactly the same because we're twins. As kids, we watched a ridiculous amount of television, and we continue to do so right through to today. We watch, we discuss, and now we're discussing with you. All right. And today we are discussing a show that we watched ridiculous amounts of as children, Quantum Leap, which premiered in 1989. Katie, why don't you tell us a little bit, what is Quantum Leap? Well, it's more like what isn't Quantum Leap? (laughs) (laughs) Quantum Leap is the story of Dr. Sam Beckett, a highly intelligent man who, with a team of scientists, has figured out a way to time travel. He steps into the time traveling chamber, unfortunately, before all the kinks are worked out, and he gets stuck in the past. He leaps from one life to the next, and he starts to figure out that it's his mission to right what was once wrong in uh, all these personal histories. And only once he writes that wrong, can he leap again. And the hope is that with each new leap, he's got the chance of leaping back home. So that's what we do. We follow Dr. Sam Beckett and his uh, assistant from the future in hologram form is uh, Admiral Al, oh nuts, it's an Italian last name. Calavici. Calavici, thank you. Al is the polar opposite in personality to Sam, but they're um, sort of a mismatched duo that take on history and try to change it one lifetime at a time. Yeah. And as I recall, we loved this show as kids. Oh, my gosh. We were so invested. (laughs) It's hard not to be invested in uh, Sam Beckett. Scott Bakula, who plays Sam, I mean, he carries this show and he... He's heartwarming. I mean, I'm sure maybe to adult viewers, it's a little, I don't know, he's just too good to be true. But to two young children who are looking on the world through rose-colored glasses, he's kind of the person that you, you know, you want in a friend, that you want jumping into your life and changing all the wrongs. Oh, we'll get to how this struck us as grown-ups, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> but let's first take a look at IMDb. So Huzzah! We finally have a top-rated episode that is not a finale. So the IMDb voters rated the third season premiere. So this is season three, episode one, as the best episode of the series. It's an episode called The Leap Home, part one. And essentially, Sam Beckett leaps back into his 16-year-old self. He's there to win a basketball game. But we find out that all this other bad stuff happened to his family. So he feels a personal obligation to right all the wrongs in his family for the brief moment in time that he's there. Yes, yes. To varying degrees of success. Yeah. And this episode has sort of been set up in the premiere episode, in the very pilot episode of the show. There's an emotional phone call of you know, Dr. Sam Beckett recognizing that he's in the past now and that his dad is still alive. His, his dad died when he was, I'm guessing around 18 or so. And, um, when he leaps into the past, 
yeah, he's there to solve someone else's problem, but he still remembers his phone number from childhood. And so he's eventually able to call his own dad and have a conversation, even though his dad has no idea who he is, but just to sort of hear his dad's voice one more time. So I think it's pretty emotionally impactful that two seasons later, we've got him actually leaping back into his own family as a teenager. Now we need to take the viewers through what actually happens in this episode. Well, I'll start us off. He first recognizes that he's in Indiana because he leaps into himself in a cornfield and the smell of the corn, you know, takes him back to his farm childhood. So he's trying to figure out who he is. Um, We can tell from the letterman jacket he's wearing that he's probably a high school student and he sort of stumbles out of the cornfield to some cute girls who pull up in a car and one of them asks him to a dance and rather than sort of respond he just sort of takes off because at this point he recognizes these girls and he starts to realize that he's in his hometown with high school students that he remembers so he takes off and you know very quickly runs home and bumps into his mom who he's overwhelmed with emotion to see and of course she's like what's going on with you yeah who probably hasn't shown this much affection in like 6 years <laughs> yeah so there's a that's sort of all in the opening just his realizing that he's back home, maybe not the home he meant when he always said he wanted to leap home, but he has leaped home in a way. Yeah. I'm pretty sure at one point in the episode, doesn't he say to Al, he's like, you know what, maybe this is it. Like, like I'm done. Like maybe this, I just need to, you know, go through it all again. Yeah. All right. So after bumping into his mom, he, of course, we know that the father is really important. So he runs off to find his dad Now, this is different from the pilot, everyone, in which his dad was played by just, you know, an actor being the dad on the phone call. Now, John Beckett, Sam's father, is also played by Scott Bakula. So we've got some makeup going on. Oh, my gosh. Can I just say that makeup has come so far in the past, what, 20, 30 years. This makeup job kind of reminded me a little bit of Back to the Future. It's just so, I mean, it's very obvious. I actually thought it wasn't horrible, but it definitely had Back to the Future vibes. Yeah, the whole neck thing. They always get it wrong at the neck. Yes. So we have a heart to heart with the dad and we realize how important basketball is. And that's when Al basically leaps in and says, yeah, yeah, I get it. You're here with your family, but you got to win this basketball game. Yeah. And it's for strange reasons that have nothing to do with Sam's family. It's because the coach is going to end up getting a bigger coaching deal. If they win this game, a couple of the other players, not Sam himself, are going to go on to, um, you know, larger collegiate careers and so on. So he's really just here to make a few people's lives eh, a little nicer, which Sam is, I mean, you know, huzzah for these other people, but Nice, nice to tell me that, but I'm here to basically do two things. One, save my dad from a heart attack. And two, apparently his older brother, Tom, is often training um, to ship out to Vietnam. And we learn that Tom eventually dies. And so, you know, two goals here, save dad from the heart attack and keep Tom from going to war so he won't get killed. Oh, yes. And There's a third one in that his younger sister, uh, Katie, uh, apparently eventually marries an abusive husband. And so even though she's only 12, he's trying to steer her off that path as well. 
Oh, I forgot about that one. That's right. That's right. That's the third one. Right. So of course to Sam, who cares about this stupid basketball game? He's got bigger fish to fry. He immediately goes into a walking PSA for heart health with his dad, who's not appreciative of him, hiding the cigarettes, not allowing him to eat breakfasts, including bacon and eggs, how he needs to be on a low fat, uh, low carb diet. His mom is just excited that he knows all of this health stuff and maybe he'll be a doctor. And isn't this exciting? But the whole family is very, uh, just bewildered by this behavior. And he basically tells them he's from the future. I think he, I don't think he says he's from the future. He just says that he knows the future. Yes. Which he doesn't usually do. And of course they all think he's nuts. Oh yeah. They bring the town doctor in to examine him. It's interesting because there is this one scene where he's sitting on the porch with his sister after he's told them all that he can see the future. And he Oh, this is my favorite scene of the whole episode. Yes. Well, because she knows about um, the Beatles and because he says he knows the future, she wants to know all about like her favorite Beatles, what's happening. So he plays her Imagine and she's, you know, sort of shocked. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us. Above us. But basically, Al alerts Sam that, like, none of this is helping. Everybody still has terrible outcomes in his family, and he's not winning the basketball game. So he's basically ruining everything, and that he needs to just tell them he made it all up. So Sam does this. He claims he did it because he doesn't want Tom to go to Vietnam because he's so worried about him. Oh, did we even mention that Tom came back? Oh, yeah. So he and Tom have sort of a heart to heart when they're doing playing some basketball. And he does make him promise that on April 8th, he has to like crawl into a hole and just stay there because that's the day that Sam knows he's going to die. Tom thinks it's ridiculous, but he agrees. So that's the impetus for him to win this basketball. Game. If he wins the basketball game, Tom has to like bury himself in a bunker on that date. So in that way, now he will potentially save his brother if he wins this stupid basketball game. Yeah. And then they, then they do the basketball game, which is one of those, I, I think Al at one point says, I feel like I'm in Hoosiers and we do too. I found it hilarious because I get it. Scott Bakula can't really dribble a basketball to save his life, but you'd think that they'd hire actors who at least had some sort of kind of experience around him. And like, they're all pretty terrible. (laughs) (laughs) And of course there's a a free throw that Sam makes to get them within one point of the victory. He and Tom sort of practice a special move he could use against one of their opponents. And so Sam incorporates that practiced move to score the winning shot. He's lifted up onto the shoulders. It's so exciting. Everyone's so thrilled, but all Sam cares about is like, okay, okay. So what happened? But Al is not giving him the info about, about Tom because Tom still dies, even though Sam won the game. Um, And he's yelling his brother's name as he leaps out of himself. And you always get that sort of quick little glimpse of where he went. And it turns out he's in Vietnam. He's in the middle of a battle when he gets there, but he comes up and realizes that he's right alongside his brother in Vietnam. Yeah. Isn't that like the second highest rated or something? I don't know. It's up there. Oh, yep. Number two. So we've leaped into the second highest rated 
episode of all time where he then has to go on to try and and save his brother. Should we should we spoil the ending for people out there? Should we let them know if Tom <laughs> is successfully saved in part two? Spoiler alert, he saves his brother. Yes. Who would have thought? Although there is some serious problems with that episode, but maybe we don't have time to get into those. <laughs> Go watch it, people. These episodes are not half bad. <laughs> <laughs> They're just so different from how I remember them, that's all. So uh, you can watch these currently on NBC.com. There are so many commercials, so many commercials per episode, but you can watch it all for free. So yeah, I watched a lot. Um, and one thing that I noted was that some of them are really boring. Well, give me an example. Like what was the most boring one you watched? Some of the stuff that was like about uh, flying and things like that. Like, I'll be honest, I thought the pilot was pretty darn boring. And then another thing I found interesting was that I felt like sometimes Sam and Al weren't really invested in the story either. I know that, and I agree with you that they're so charismatic as actors and characters that we, you know, we're there for them. Um, Sometimes I just sort of felt like they had other things going on and they didn't even really care about like fixing the people's problems. And traditionally that happens when something else catches more of their attention, much like this top rated episode, right? Like Sam's there to win a basketball game that he does not care about because his family is sitting right there and he could be changing their history in other ways. And that comes across in another one called MIA where he's there to like stop a police shooting, but Al is Oh, that's the one where Al wants to, yeah, Al is leading him astray because of his own personal life. Yeah, he has um, his own issues from that exact same time period and location. And so he keeps making Sam go off and do things that Sam has no business doing. Well, spoiler alert, are we allowed to spoil MIA? I think so. Yeah, so Al is kind of, um, ugh, a ladies man. He likes, he's been married seven he's times. He's a womanizer. Me, the Me Too movement may not have treated him no. well. Well, I don't think, I mean, yes, no, yes. He does, he doesn't have great lines in some respects, but. Well, he also stands up for women. Like when women are being treated terribly by other characters, he's always on their side and he always is cheering women on when they stand up for themselves. But if they have big boobs, his eyeballs are definitely glued there the whole time. Yeah. So it's kind of a mixed bag here. Um, but Al's uh, first wife is sort of the love of his life, and she waited for him. He was a POW for a very long time, and we're talking at least five years, I think. And she just, you know, eventually thought he must be dead. And so she got her marriage to him annulled, got married, and had this whole other life. She was kind of the one for him. So he kind of seems to have given up on monogamy after that, I guess. Oh yeah. He's on like wife number five and he's always having issues with, is it Tina, his sort of lover who's, you know, in present day quantum leap territory. And they're always having ups and downs. Now there's another Al centered episode in which he leaps into a young Al who is on trial for rape, which he did not commit. So he looks in the mirror and we're supposed to see a young Al in the mirror, right? And guess who played the young Al? Oh my gosh, who? It's the guy who was in that show, um, The Heights. It was like a Beverly Hills 90210 split off. Oh, oh, he sang that one song that actually made it onto the top 40 radio. I know exactly. Who how do you talk about. to an angel? Yes. <laughs> how do you talk to an angel? I loved that song. I was so into it. 
He was basically like Jason Priestley 2.0. Well, I'd say he's sort of a, a 19, early 90s James Dean type. Just a little post-editing to note that this actor's name is Jamie Walters. And when you see, like, in the old photos that they show of Dean Stockwell, who played Al, like, oh, my gosh, he could have played James Dean easily. Well, yeah, I'm saying they cast this kid pretty well because they look pretty similar. If you look at the photo from MIA, for example, and then and then this one. But what I find so odd is in that episode, like he's there to make sure that Al does not get. Well, wait a minute. What happened to get Al put on trial for rape if clearly that never happened in real history? Because Al doesn't get there in time and Sam's not sure what he's supposed to be doing. So he's doing what he thinks is right by like telling people who show up certain things. And then basically a woman is killed in a car accident and she would have been Al's alibi. Basically, she was killed in the in the car accident um, after she had given her testimony to like the higher up. So even though she died because Sam tells her, no, no, don't tell anyone about us. We'll both lose our jobs. He has no idea that her not telling everyone is a terrible mistake. Wow. So, but what I find so jarring about that episode is that Al is just like, la, la, la. Oh, look at all these people I used to know. Oh, this is fun. Oh, I'm going to go hop off over here and take a look at this. He seems to have like no concern at all that his younger self might be found guilty and put away forever for this. He just seems totally blasé about that. That's weird. Okay. So we've recapped the number one rated episode, The Leap Home Part One. And now it's time to reveal, do we agree this is the best episode of the series? Or is there another episode that should take that top tier Let's start with you, Katie. What did you think? Okay. My favorite episode is Mirror Image, which is the final episode of the series. However, there is one caveat. My favorite episode is the final of the series without the completely disrespectful two final placards that NBC inserted with no forewarning to Donald Belisario or anybody on the uh, creative team for the show. So I love this episode. I remember sobbing over it as a kid. I enjoyed rewatching it as an adult because there's lots of little Easter eggs in it, um, even though you know what's going to happen. And I, I have to say, I think the way that the show ended was a real, ugh, it, it just kind of stinks all over how NBC treated the creative team, promising them that they would have a, another season once this this story was created. And then afterwards they pulled the plug with no forewarning. And they're the ones that inserted those two final placards, sort of setting up the main character for a fate that the creators never intended for this show to go in, regardless if it was the final episode or not. Well, this is a controversial episode because it's love or hate. And I'd say it's pretty equally loved and hated, um, which I always think is interesting because obviously it gets a reaction. But I think the hate is in how the the final literally had nothing to do with creative team ended it. Like to me, this is a really well-written episode. And Scott Bakula has even called it out as NBC stole the story and just made up this ending that no one ever intended. But at the same time, if you just look at what was created by the team, it's a great episode. They had to write it. They were, Don Belisario wrote it. My understanding is, is that they were not yet greenlit for the next 
season. And so Belisario had the double-edged sword of write what could potentially lead into another season, but could also be the series finale. Well, I, I read that when he delivered the script, they told him, okay, we've decided to bring you back for another season. So they shot it both ways, still according to the script. But they, he thought they were going to get another season. Well, my point is they were shooting it. It had to work as either. That is correct. And what I don't like is that those two final placards that literally tell you their version of the ending sums up an alternately shot ending, but not the full story. They don't even let the creators have the final set. Like if it's going to be the finale, then let the creators make it the finale that they wanted it to be, which pisses me off. So let me back up. For those of us who need to jog our memories, what happens is Sam leaps into a 1953 bar. It's in Cokesville, uh, Pennsylvania, right outside of Pittsburgh. Maybe Don Balsario did know that this was his last hurrah because he uh, intentionally uh, designed this bar to detail for detail match the bar that his dad owned back in 1953. He also, Sam leaps back to August 8th, 1953, which is the character's birthday, which is Sam Beckett's birthday. And it also is Donald Belisario's birthday. So the idea is that the bartender is clearly more than he seems. And um, there's a mining accident and some um, lives of people that he has previously leaped into are put in jeopardy again. So there's an episode called Jimmy where Sam leaps into the body of a mentally disabled boy. I believe he has Down syndrome and the boy's brother. And he basically has to convince the brother to keep Jimmy in the family and not send him to an institution. So Jimmy and his older brother are now trapped in the mine and he basically is interacting with other miners who are trying to get them out. And he witnesses um, this one miner sort of lead the charge to help Jimmy and his brother. And then once the two men are saved, that man leaps. Well, but also bizarrely and surreally, even though he knows them as Jimmy and whatever Jimmy's brother were named, that's not who they are. They have different names and they live in this mining town and it's a different year and a different decade. And they look exactly like the people he leaped into, but they're not those people. Right. And there's other there's other people in this town who are people who were different in previous leaps of his, but are now completely different characters, people, whatever you want to call it. And he, he starts to understand that the bartender is, is the one that's making him leap is the one that's in charge of where he leaps to. Yeah. Because the bartender's name is also Al, even though it's not Al, it's Jack Dalton from MacGyver. Yes. Well, and, um, it's also the actor is Bruce McGill. And he was also the um, Air Force commander in the first leap that Sam did back in the very first episode. He was um, the leader of the Air Force pilots in that very first episode um, of the series. Yeah, but of course, Sam doesn't recognize him from that, which is another thing I find interesting because there's also supposed to be this Swiss cheese memory effect where at one point in the series, he leaps home and figures out that he has a wife, but then he conveniently forgets that when he leaps out again. And yet in the finale, he totally remembers Jimmy. And so I find it very odd how they use memory in this entire series. 
oh, we could go on about that. There's actors that they use in certain episodes that end, end up playing Sam's sister later on. I mean, it's just endless. Okay, so basically what happens is Sam um, talks to the bartender and um, they kind of have a philosophical conversation. About- Where would you like to go, Sam? I'd like to go home, but I can't, can I? I've got a wrong to put right for Al. You knew that, didn't you? So Sam was back to that MIA episode where he tried to get um, Al's first wife, Beth, to wait for him. He uses his charm to um, sort of put Beth at ease and try to rectify her relationship with Al and just let her know that she just has to wait a few, you know, a few more years before he'll be rescued. Um, and then, um, when he's done doing that, he leaps again. And that's where you go to these placards, which basically say, you know, Al and Beth, you know, had been married for 40 years. They have four daughters. Um, and then Sam did not leap home, was never seen again, which I think is real, BS. Because in the alternate ending, we have instead of Sam leaping, it's the photograph of Al on the um, on the mantle behind Beth, where we see Al's picture leaping. And then we see him in the future at home with Beth, you know, 40 years later, they are married. You can see on their mantelpiece, they do have four daughters. So it's clear that NBC just like watched the footage and then made up these dumb little cards to go with it. But they're having a long conversation because Sam has leaped again. Al knew where he was in 1953 and can't find him. And now it's become clear that Al is going to have to be the one who leaps back into history, trying to find Sam and get a get a lock on him again. And then, and this is not on YouTube that I could find, but according to the internet and leaked versions of the alternate ending of the script, instead of Sam leaping and we don't see where he goes, there is apparently, you know, a script, if not footage of him um, coming in on a leap and he's in the future and he's like on some sort of space station type setting. And that's where they leave it. And oh my gosh, if they had done that, like, I don't care if you get picked up or not, whichever way you go, what a great setup for a sixth season if they had had it. And if not, like you, your imagination can take off in a million different directions of where the story could have gone, you know, in your imagination. So if, if NBC had just butted out, I think this would have been the episode to end all episodes. But even with what they did give us, I like everything except for those, those two placards. So that is my favorite episode. So let's get into watching these episodes as grownups, because I do think this show has some problems. It has a a big heart, but there's a lot of the white man leaping in to save someone who is seen as a minority or different 
than a, you know, white cis man would be. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, that's not even something people would have thought of back then, unfortunately, but it was definitely a a storyline for its time. You know what I mean? Like it didn't even occur to the mostly male writing teams and male creation teams back then that, you know, maybe this wasn't totally okay. Right. And I do think they're pointing out things, you know, when you walk in someone else's shoes, but you're a white man walking in someone else's shoes, you continue to act like, you know, the the white privilege that you're used to. On the other hand, I have bigger issues just with the storytelling. Again, Deborah Pratt, a woman, wrote the one about the rape uh, situation, but they essentially have to bring the actual rape victim into the hologram chamber so that she can tell Sam what to say. And so he's basically just regurgitating her story. And that really bothered me. That's interesting because I read about that and their take on why they did that was because they didn't want a man to be telling the woman's story. I understand that and I agree. So why is Sam even there? If the real woman can do this, why does Sam have to be there, quote unquote, saving her when she's doing it herself? And later in that same episode, we have the guy gets off and then comes back to rape the woman again because he's mad that she even tried. And then Sam's just there to like punch him. And that's the, you know, oh, and sweep your hands together, you know, tidied that up right quick because I'm really a man inside here and I know how to like punch a guy. And that's the conclusion. Oh my God. How they handled it story-wise did not work for me. And this happens multiple times when he leaps into a mom, he has to go like save the kidnapped son. These are literally people who have abducted a child with like gross sexual intentions. And they wrap it up by Sam punching the people. And then in the next scene, she's hugging her kid to go off to school. Like no police were called, nothing else happened these child rapist slash murderers get a punch in the face and that's it. It makes zero sense. And as a grown-up, I had enormous issues with how the show utilized a white male savior in, in that kind of a way, repeatedly episode after, after episode. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, yeah, that makes sense. I, I don't think this show would be greenlit today for some of these very problems (laughs) or they'd have to you know be very careful about how they did it well here we get to my thoughts on the best episode yay or nay so this is a perfect transition because i'm going to say that i agree with the imdv voters for the very first time in our little show's history yes what i think really this one I think the leap home part one is the best episode because Sam does care what happens when he's there. He has a lot he wants to change and it's because he knows these people. He knows what is going to happen and he wants to right wrongs that matter to him personally. There's a real connection. Okay. Wait, I just, I just want to make sure I'm not misunderstanding because the thing, the reason why I like Sam and Scott Bakula, who plays him, is because I know it gets a little wonky on some of the episodes where it's kind of they're trying to do a com a comedy one. But I've never felt that Sam doesn't care, like ever. Like he is all in, especially when he starts to care about the people that 
are around him in a very short period of time. So I guess I disagree with this is the only episode where he really cares. No, I, well, I think the stakes are a lot higher for him. I think it's the most we've ever seen him care about something. And I'm telling you, I've watched a lot of episodes, Katie, and sometimes it'll be like, oh, I ran into my old piano teacher who I had the hots for, and now we're both grownups and I really want a banger. And that's what he's more interested in than in solving the man's problems that he's there to solve. Well, but yes, he wants to, you know, but he's also, he's in love with her. You know what I mean? And think about it this way. He's been trapped in somebody else's life for a very long time. Like just to have an emotional connection to somebody he actually knows has got to be huge for him because he's around strangers all the time. Which is why when there are characters that he knows and actually cares about from his real life, the show is way better. That's my point. And I think that that's why the IMDb voters are correct and that that leap where he actually gets to go home and try and help his own family is the best one because we all care about Sam. And if Sam really cares about something that's going to personally affect him, that's exciting and fun to see. So here's what I'm saying about the show. That's what I wish they had focused more on. When things are happening for Al, we care more. All those things have that personal connection. And I'm going to just do a shout out to what I think would have made a better show and how you can do this again if you switch it so that we're only ever dealing with people we know and love and could potentially help that we care about. So there's a Canadian show. You've watched it too called. Oh my gosh. I love this show. It's called being Erica. Go watch it. Find it. I'm sure it's streaming. It's always streaming on something. And in that narrative, a woman is leaping, but she can only leap back into her own life and try and fix something a mistake she made in her own past and see how that affects her when she jumps back to present day. And to me, that makes for a great, never gets boring, we always care show. Now, with that said, um, I think if you're not going to do that, if we're going to stick with the quantum leap idea of leaping into other people's bodies, and this was another theme I found when seeing what other people think of the show all these years later. Like, why wasn't he allowed to have more fun? Like, if he leaps into, you know, uh, some place he's never been before, why not be like, eh, let's put this on the back burner and go on a little tourism day. I've always wanted to see X, Y, or Z, you know, now that I'm actually in New York City or wherever else, like, or here's a time and place where I'd really love to just have more fun moments with things. So here I'm also going to create a little caveat. I think the best episode is the one the voters chose, but it's not my favorite episode because it's not the most fun episode. And I think the episode that had the most fun with just a one-off loop-de-loo throw caution to the wind, just have a good time, is called The Leaping of the Shrew, wherein it's pretty much just only Sam and Brooke Shields playing an entitled rich heiress stuck on a deserted island together for the duration of the show. That's it. It's just the two of them having hijinks and, you know, also sort of falling in love. They are not having fun on that raft from the parts that I watched. Well, if we're talking about movies, that reminds me of it would be Overboard, wherein she's the rich lady. Oh, it's it's Overboard in a nutshell. <laughs> He's yes. the Greek sailor who worked in the engine room of the yacht she was floating around on. 
Oh, and she was sneaking a smoking. She was sneaking a smoke down in the engine room and like blew up the ship. Yeah, but I love how they do throw in some little curveballs. You know, she's being horrible to him. And so he's basically like, fine, I'll eat what I can figure out on this island and you can eat what you find. And so she wanders off and finds all this like amazing fruit. And he like tries to fish and it goes horribly wrong. So at the end of the day, she's got this like enormous feast and he has nothing to eat. And and then, of course, he feels his purpose is to get them rescued from the island as quickly as possible. But it keeps not working. And it turns out she's sabotaging his plans to rescue them. And it, it turns out that they're supposed to stay on the island for longer so they can just get away from her normal life. And I don't know, have a bunch of kids and have a great time on this island where it's 76 degrees every day. And there's plenty of bananas to go around. So that's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say I think it it makes more sense to have episodes where there's a personal connection. And if we're not going to have a personal connection, just make it really fun. I know that a lot of people felt that the show was sort of going off the rails at the end and they were just kind of throwing all kinds of, you know, ideas to the wall to see what might stick for them to get a sixth season. Um, but that's the one I loved where it was just, oh, let's just go have fun. And it doesn't have to be about, Lee Harvey Oswald or any of these other things that Don Belisario obviously had like a personal vendetta he wanted to get across. Yeah, it's interesting, though, because at one point the idea was that you couldn't leap into a famous person's life because your ripple effect would be too great. But they threw that out, like you said, in season five. I did find some fan sites where people liked season five and were like, finally, we get to do like famous people. But clearly it was kind of a love it or hate it. Well, I just didn't like it because you also have Sam, quote unquote, being inhabited by Lee Harvey Oswald. So and I, I know that they say that can happen, you know, like, for example, a character has a lisp. So then Sam starts lisping and things like that. But quite honestly, I find that to be one of the terrible aspects of the show, particularly when you have him portraying someone like Jimmy that we previously mentioned with Down syndrome. I just find that hugely problematic. Um, and also, we don't ever see that with anyone else. You know, he's in the South. He isn't Southern suddenly speaking with a Southern accent or anything else. So I just don't like how they cherry pick which times they're going to bring that element in. And I find that when they do bring it in, it's usually terrible. And I just don't appreciate having Sam all of a sudden like hitting women and being abusive just for the shock value of it. Right, right. Yeah, that is off-putting. So again, I think the show has huge heart. I think it has huge empathy and it's aiming high. You know, you can always say, oh, my intent wasn't to be offensive, but if if it's offensive, it is. And even if your intent wasn't that, it has to be acknowledged that some of the things seen through the lens of today are offensive. I agree. I think you've pretty much summed it up. It, It is one of those things where like you go and you try to recreate your childhood with something and it's never gonna be the way that it was when you first saw it. Because we're an A, not in that time, you know, our own little quantum leap. And B, life experience just makes this show kind of a whole different thing. But I, I do cherish my memories of how this show made me feel as a kid and sort of the optimism that Sam Beckett gave me. But I can't recreate that watching it again. Now, I do have a few more fun facts. Um, the first of which is, you know me, how I like to go into the, um, the theme of the show. Well, we have got to get a clip of this app because the same person who did the music and wrote the theme song for Quantum Leap is Mike Post, the Law and Order guy. 
he was a huge theme song writer um, back in the 80s and 90s. He also did themes for the A-Team, the Hill Street Blues, Doogie Howser MD, Blossom, if you remember that one, that was a catchy one, and Magnum P.I. And one of our old favorites, when in 1999 they did a Dr. Quinn TV movie, he was in charge of the music for that too. Um, also, uh, the series correctly predicted the future twice. The first time they correctly predicted the future was in season two, the episode called All Americans, where Al correctly states that the Pittsburgh Steelers will play in Super Bowl 30 and be three points behind because I guess he's saying, I got to get back to the game. You know, here's what's happening. And sure enough, in Super Bowl 30, the uh, Steelers did play. They uh, lost to the Cowboys. And at two points in the game, uh, they were three points behind. And then the second time they correctly predicted the future was in real life. Um, There's an episode, um, I think it's called Catch a Falling Star, where Sam leaps into a production of The Man of La Mancha, and he has to quickly learn the role. The actor who plays Sancho Panza Um, who's, you know, um, Don Quixote's right-hand man, uh, just a few years after this episode, went on Broadway in the revival and did play Sancho Panza on Broadway. So I thought that was a fun little, you know, precursor to uh, the future. There were other episode ideas kicking around in the writer's room. So one idea was to have Sam jump into an animated character, which just seems bizarre to me. Another one was him for him to jump into a dog. They had him jump into a chimpanzee. So, I mean, they sort of got the animal thing there. Another idea was for him to jump into the body of a baby. They didn't do this on the show, but there's both a novel series and a comic book series. And the comic book tackled uh, the idea of him jumping into the body of a baby. And then really fun. So Don Belisario also created Magnet P.I. Magnum P.I. had gone off the air by the time Quantum Leap came on. But they did want to do a crossover episode where Sam leaps into um, Magnum P.I. Some people say that the creators wanted him to jump into the body of Tom Selleck playing Magnum P.I. They did have discussions and they got OKs from both Tom Selleck and the actor who played Higgins to do this. But um, I think it, you know, it never it never got done. But it's a fun idea. I'm fine with none of that ever happening. <laughs> Oh, and then my final bit of fun is that a quantum leap, just in case people are wondering, is an abrupt change or a sudden increase or dramatic advance. And in 2014, the University of Geneva was able to teleport a photon to a crystal encased photon 15 and a half miles away. So if we're talking about the photon level, quantum leaps are in fact possible and have been achieved. Well, it wasn't 1999 after all, but not bad. So we're going to play any games this time or no? I think we have to do some sort of like, where in time would you jump, not knowing who you could be? You know, is there a time or a place that you'd love to jump to? Let's say you don't have to be Sam. You don't have to like save the day. But my example would be, I would love to have like been in the control room when they landed on the moon. I don't even want to be on the moon, but I would love to just see and feel the excitement of like you you've accomplished sending someone to the moon and you're communicating with them. Oh, this is probably why I watch 
the Martian regularly because I love all the control room scenes. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. My favorite part of Apollo uh, 13 are the control room scenes. It's like, oh my gosh, we've got all these problems. How are we going to fix it? You know, come on team, let's go into a room and figure this out with some duct tape. Yeah. I think that would, could be interesting with time travel. There's, you know, so many issues. Well, you know, even now we're living in tumultuous times, but to go and see something joyous or incredible, or a lot of people coming together to accomplish something would be thrilling. What I would want to do is I would want to go and see something momentous that was before like video cameras. So for example, I really would want to be at the Gettysburg address because I would want to see a speech, you know, that, that kind of rains down in our history as being pretty important, but also like, I want to, I want to feel the dust and the heat and, you know, what did Lincoln really look like when he was in motion? Oh, and the guy who spoke before him, he literally did a three hour speech and then Lincoln gets up and does like two minutes and he's done. Well, that's the proverbial mic drop of the olden days. So I just think it would be fun to see people whom we only have, you know, some people we only have like statues of, you know, like what did that person really look like? Yeah. Like, wouldn't you like to go back and see the statue David being carved in the moment? Oh my gosh. I don't know that I'd want to meet Michelangelo because I'm pretty sure I'd think he was a big jerk, but yes, that would be so cool. All right. So there you have it. Quantum Leap. The number one rated episode is season three, episode one, The Leap Home Part One. And I, Abby, agree that is the best episode of the series. But if you want a little fun, go check out season five, episode three, where they're stuck on an island with Rook Shields having a grand old time. (laughs) And I, Katie, don't agree. I think that the series finale called Mirror Image is the best episode, which I realize is controversial, and I approve of the creator's version of this episode, not NBC's little end run with it. And this show leaps us to the next. Let's go take a closer look at Being Erica. Being Erica is a little hidden gem Canadian show. It had four seasons and it premiered in 2009. As of this recording, you can watch it on both Hulu. You can also watch it on Amazon Prime. This is the one where a woman time travels through her own life, putting right the wrongs that she created in her past, and then time traveling back to the present to see how it all works out in her current situation. And that is what we'll be discussing in two weeks. So happy watching until then.